Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Rico from the Made in China podcast and Source Find Asia. So this episode is 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 a special one. It's a very very special episode of the Made in China podcast. Uh, if you're wondering why I sound like that, I'm just just drank coffee and a protein shake. I'm getting freaking jacked, bro. Um, anyways, I got interviewed for I got, this is my first. Or second podcast interview. I think it was my second podcast interview. Um, I got interviewed by the uh, Four Seas One Family podcast. Uh, James from there was nice enough to reach out to me and request an interview. And just uh, he, I guess he interviews expats around the world, not just in China. That's why it's Four Seas One Family. Um, and he just, his podcast is quite different from mine. Like I like to deep dive into business. I do like to go into personal issues from time to time, but his was more like, you know, 20% business stuff, 80% my views on the world and my family history and my mindsets and stuff like that. So it was very, very different. Got a little bit personal there, a little bit, uh, touchy feely, but, um, I think it's a good episode. I think, you know, uh, I think, I guess if you want to get to know me better, maybe in the podcast, I, I act more as a, a mouthpiece for my, my guests. Um, I'm trying to make my guests you know, look good. So I don't really, I try not to talk about myself too much when I'm interviewing people. So this is just a, a repost. This is from his podcast, For She's One Family. You want to check it out, check out other episodes that he's done. Uh, I just decided to, you know, repo, repost the audio as a Made in China podcast bonus for the listeners that might be interested and might also want to start listening to his podcast. So without further ado, I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me. Welcome to Four Seas One Family, the podcast where expats and future expats can share and learn about life experiences abroad. I'm your host, James Thomas, coming to you from Taipei, Taiwan, and I'm so glad to have you traveling along with me on this journey. Welcome to the show. Today, my special guest is Rico Ngoma, and he's from Canada, but he was born in a place in Southern Africa called Zambia. And uh, when he was younger, he his family moved to um, uh, Florida, yeah, Orlando, Florida, and he lived there between the ages of uh, 12 and 13, and then his family decided to move over to, move up to Toronto, Canada, where he uh, later went to school and, um, you know, got involved in all kinds of jobs and things like that. And uh, he got the spark to, you know, go into business, but he didn't, he knew he was, he wanted to go into business, but he wasn't sure, um, you know, when or how, you know, and, and after speaking to him, I think business is in this guy's DNA, you know? So, you know, while he is figuring out what he's going to do, he, you know, in school, he studied uh, business administration management. And then one day he came across a YouTube uh, channel that talked, you know, specifically about doing business in China. And that gave him the push to decide, hey, that's it. I'm going to China to start my own business. So in the September of 2004, he did it. He, you know, got over in China, southern China, Guangzhou, and, uh, you know, studied uh, Chinese for a while and uh, met his first business par partner. And in 2015, he um, he started a company and, and his company does uh, 
product manufacturing and consulting, and uh, he's done a lot of things. He had high quality clients, you know, that manage, you know, like mass production orders, you know, uh, quality control, shipping and logistics, logistics, I should say. And his, you know, his client, his clients has ranged from, you know, e-commerce sites like uh, Amazon FBA sellers or large software companies, you know, transitioning into uh, physical products. And uh, actually, he has two companies, but, you know, I'll let him talk about that. And, you know, this guy, you know, Rico is really, really interesting. And I, also, I should also add that he's also a podcaster. And I let him talk more about that during our interview. And, you know, well, without further ado, let's listen to the interview. How are you doing, Rico? Thank you for coming on the show. How are you today? I'm fantastic, man. Um, you know, I'm in my office right now. This is my first podcast interview i've done a ton of inter- i've interviewed people this is right. my first time being the interviewee so yeah. very interesting you're a podcaster also right i am a podcaster yeah what, made in china podcast that's right um, you know we interview we do crowdfunding business in china manufacturing and lifestyle in china okay so that's our podcast cool tell so, everybody where you're coming from where you're coming from exactly where in china I am currently located in Guangzhou, Guangdong Province, China, which is southern China, uh, two hours away from Hong Kong. It's probably a little bit more of a common name. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. And that's my office is here. I run a sourcing company called SourceMind Asia. And uh, we basically help businesses, mostly entrepreneurs or startup entrepreneurs, make physical products in China. We consult and teach them about the manufacturing process, find suppliers, mm-hmm. uh, manage uh, the productions. Uh, we organize QC, shipping, uh-huh. uh, logistics, the whole, the whole shebang. The whole shebang. I'm going to get back to that, but I want to, I'm going to ask you, why China, man? What, what made you go to China? Why? Quite simply, I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit. Um, I came, like my last year of university, I went to Seneca, Seneca College in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And I was 21, last year of school, trying to figure out what am I going to do after school. Um, always knew I want to start a business. What is the quickest path to this? Mm-hmm. Consuming a ton of content online, came across the Elevator Life. Now it's known mm-hmm. as the InterChina Show. And, you know, it's Tim and Nick, these two dudes from the U.S., moved to China at 22. They've been in China for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. They have a amazing apartment in Guangzhou. They are they own a wine company. They've done like Kickstarter campaigns. They've got like a hundred plus videos on YouTube. And I just started consuming all this content. And it was just this like epiphany moment where I'm like sitting in my apartment watching these videos. I'm like, I'm gonna do exactly what these two dudes did. And what year was that? And that was uh I moved to China in 2014, so that must have been 2013, mm-hmm. early 2013. And I was like, yeah, I'm moving to China. I actually kind of remember the day. Like, I, I, <laughs> we went to like a language, uh, me and my friends met up at like a language exchange place, mainly just to meet like foreign girls. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was, I, I just came in like psyched. Hey, man, like I, I was studying Mandarin at the time for free, for fun, like not not because I thought I was moving to China. And the next year I was like, I'm going to move to China eventually. Mm-hmm. So I took like this introductory course to Mandarin. And then we, we decided to go to a language exchange. Like I said, mainly for the girls. So we arrived there and we're like excited. And I'm like telling every, Hey, I'm moving to China next year. You know, it was like the first day that I had that realization. <laughs> so 
yeah, I mean, so to make a long story short, I just, I saw these guys doing cool things in China and it just, I related to them. They were straight out of university and they were relatable. And I was like, I can do what they're doing. And then that's why, that's why I moved to China. And you, after then school. you got hooked. Yeah. Then I got hooked, you know, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's a simple story. Well, uh, me, do, you, do you want more? No, 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 no. I want, let me, let me, we'll, I want to talk a little bit more about your business, but a little bit, I want to go into you personally and why China, right? But like, what have, what, what are some of the interesting discoveries you have made uh, so far there outside of your business so far? All right. So uh, let me just like rewind a little bit. Okay. Um, my mom, her name is Susan. She was, uh, she owns a couple of retail stores in Zambia. Okay. That, that explains born. why. That explains why yeah. it's in your blood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, I mean, my mom's, uh, she's a businesswoman. My dad is a businesswoman as well. No, your dad's a businessman. Business, well. He's a businessman. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Yeah, but my dad's a businessman. I hope he's not a businesswoman. Okay. But yeah, my dad, like he had companies and then he helped my mom start her store and she was sourcing from China. Mm -hmm. So I I actually came to China for the first time in 2008 with my mom. Oh, okay. And, you know, she took me around and was, we were in Guangzhou, went to Hong Kong as well. And I just kind of like saw what she was doing. I mean, at the time, it didn't really mean anything to me. I was, I was really like a spoiled bat, brat. Like, I was but you was absorbing bag. all of that, though. You was absorbing all I of was, that. I was. Yeah, I mean, I didn't forget it. But I was. Uh -huh. I remember like I was complaining about the hotel that we're staying oh, in. Oh, my goodness. Are we, are we here? Are we there yet? That kind of kid? <laughs> that kind of thing. When, are we, when am I getting my PlayStation 3 games? Like, <laughs> oh, it was that goodness. kind of you know, I remember we were in, like, we went to Hong Kong and uh -huh. we came to Guangzhou and then we went to Bangkok and we were in Bangkok and I was playing PlayStation 3 in my hotel room for uh -huh. three days. For three days. While my mom, like, we were in Bangkok. Like, I, <laughs> I was in Bangkok and I was in my hotel room for three days playing video games. Well, you was easy to take care of, though. You was easy to take care of. You just give him his, I, his video games and I'll go do my business. He just stay in a hotel room for three days. I guess, but it's like the perspective of like how many, how many people at sixteen years old get to go to Bangkok? That's true. You know? <laughs> Especially like it's from just, North, North America, right? Yeah. So for me, my perspective now is like I could have done so much when I was in <laughs> Bangkok, and I was in my hotel room for three days. Anyways, but um, so the point is, my mom was doing business in China, and that kind of gave me. I I really I I I took it in, even though I didn't understand at the time. Mm -hmm. I took it in. Absorbed. And so when I got to a stage where I was a little bit more mature, which is 21, and I'm watching these YouTube videos and now I'm trying to figure out how I can do business in this world, um, I come across the Elevator Life. Mm -hmm. There's a connection between like, oh, my mom was doing this oh. and I can do this. And then it's like... It, it snapped it was, together. It snapped together, yeah. So I was like, oh yeah, I can, I can do this. And then my original plan when I came down here was to actually take over my mom's business but uh -huh. when i came down i had a better look into the day-to-day -day operations and the reality is when somebody's been running a business for 13 years uh -huh. they have a way of doing things and right. i am pretty stubborn and the big part of the reason why i want to run my own company why i'm i am running my own businesses is because i don't like taking direction from oh people. my goodness okay i hope i hope your mom gets to hear this program but she knows. She, probably, she probably already knows that. But but you know, in Chinese we call that. Maybe your family has something with China called Yuan Fen. Maybe it's something, something. So, but now we backed up a little bit. Now, still, what 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 other what interesting discoveries have you made there? 
or since I, since I yeah. got to China. Yeah, since you woke up. How about that? It's <laughs> um, a very good question. Um, since I got to China, I mean, I think the first thing was the understanding about food. This okay. is a very ignorant thing. <laughs> okay, yes, here it is. It's a very ignorant thing because, I mean, if you're in Western culture, you think of Chinese food. Mm-hmm. It's like chicken fried rice, uh, General Sal's chicken, <laughs> you know, like that, like sweet and sour pork. Right. You know, things like that. Like it's a very fried, sweet and sour, salty, spicy. That's not Chinese food. That Thank you is, for saying that. That is, <laughs> that is American Chinese food. Right, right. That's and not the American to, stuff. I, yeah, I listened to a podcast called, um, I think it's a China History Podcast. Oh, wonderful podcast. Yeah, yeah. And they had an episode about American Chinese food because I was very interested about like, why is the food so different? Right. Anyways, but that was like my first realization is that Chinese people don't eat like, like, um, well, what's the, what's the, like, it's fortune just, cookies. Yeah, it's fortune just not cookies. this. That's American. <laughs> that's fortune cookies do not exist in China. Right. Like, so, like, that is not Chinese food. Like that uh, fortune cookies actually from Japan. Oh, okay. If, yeah, if you listen to the podcast and and then like things like um things like uh, chicken fried rice and all that, like they're they're here, but it's it's a different kind of style. It's been uh, the, localized. The vast, it's been localized. The the vast majority of Chinese food is from southern China. Uh-huh. So it's just like things like that I learned very quickly on and I was like, oh okay, this is this is very interesting. <laughs> um other than that, I would say that I learned how much a huge portion of the culture that just doesn't really have the same social norms or right. um yeah, I guess so, social norms is the best way to put it. So I, I, another example is like, okay, you take the subway, right? You're from New York. That's right. <laughs> uh, and and New York, I'm sure that, you know people are pretty aggressive in New York, but uh-huh. I'm pretty sure they wait for people to get off of the train, right? That's right. It's your personal space you got to watch out for, right? Exactly. So different concept. In, in Guangzhou, it's like, okay, we're gonna try and like rush into the train. We're not waiting for you to get off the train. Oh, sardine yeah. time. Sardine time. So like that kind of stuff was like wow. Like people really don't understand that it's actually easier for you to get on the train. If you wait yeah. for people to get off the train, and uh, you know, then then you also learn like specifically with Guangzhou um, and a lot of Chinese cities. The reason why that is is not because the people are mean or wow. they don't care. It's because this stuff is so new, too too new to them. It happened too fast. Developed really quickly. Literally, I, I talked about two thousand and eight when I came to China. In two thousand and eight, the area that I live in, the area where my office is, this downtown core, mm-hmm. Lieda. Uh, Zhujiang Newtown mm-hmm. didn't exist. Right, it was a, right. Yeah, there was there was like nothing here. There was like it was a small village. Right. So I mean, that's that now. Uh, I would say that's seven years ago. But like seven years is a very short time for that level of development, right? So right. you have to take into consideration that the culture is still culture mm-hmm. takes a long time to develop. Technology can move right like leaps and bounds. Exponential. But, yeah. So, I mean, having that, just like, the, those are the things that I learned when I got here. I was like, oh, okay. So this place is developing really quickly. The the money is here, but the culture is still behind. Right. And, you know, if you don't accept that, you can get really frustrated with living in China. How do you keep from getting frustrated? You accept that. That's it. Huh? You, know, you accept it. You don't, you don't take, you don't take it into deeply. You don't take it personally. Right. You learn about the history, you know, that that's, that's the most important thing. Right. Like you, you can't understand 
how people are right now if you don't know about their history. That's true. So you assimilate it in, in many ways, right? Yeah, you. So I, I mean, I'm I'm a very open minded person. So, um, we we're talking about food earlier. Uh-huh. Uh, my first four months in China, I, Christmas, 2014. Mm-hmm. I I went to eat snake, deep fried snake. Oh yeah, I went through that too. <laughs> Kentucky fried snake. You know? Oh cool. Um, it was it was amazing. Like I loved it. I loved the taste. I was scared because uh-huh. I'm actually afraid of snakes, and I got to hold the snake. Uh huh. That whole experience was crazy. Like you go into like a restaurant. Uh-huh. This is a pretty expensive restaurant. Right. You go into like the back kitchen. Mm-hmm. They had a. They had like basically like a an aquarium with snakes. And, and, you, and you just picked your victim, right? I mean, I don't know if that was the particular snake <laughs> that we ate, but like you know, it was like, hey, hold the snake, and I was like, oh, okay, very cool. So I held the snake. But stale and everything, uh-huh. and uh, you know, it, it when I held the tail, it like it um it, it condensed its muscles, and I was like, oh, this is weird, and I dropped it. He <laughs> said, please don't eat me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, and these are like domestic; these are like farmed snakes. These uh-huh. are not uh-huh. wild snakes; these, they grew up to be eaten, right? Oh. This is like, anyways. But yeah, so we had deep fried snake, and then we had uh, fried rice with snake blood, right? And well, that, it was one of the best days of my life. Yeah, that stuff's supposed to help um, a person's yang, but we won't talk about that in this, in this <laughs> show. So you you learned so you learned to get outside your norms as and being open minded. But you also said you're stubborn too. Okay, you can't forget that. Okay, you said it. Yeah, but yeah, um, you you still are brave enough to go out and learn, and you understand that. Uh, sometimes the culture does not develop as quickly as the technology, which is, you know, some people, especially from North America and parts of Europe, mm-hmm. they don't get that yet. So you that helps you adapt quicker and assimilate to it. So that's, that's I, I give you a check for that because a lot of people write me and ask, you know, how do I do this? Or there's some place like in China and they're going across uh, cultural issues. I, I tell them, get out your hotel room. Mm-hmm. Get out! How much socializing with the locals? I mean, that, that you do, and and how did you develop those those types of relationships? Um, I, I mean, I, the vast majority of the people I interact with on a daily basis are local Chinese people. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason is because I have this perspective that if you're going to move to a, a country, you can't go there and like start hanging out with people from your country, right? It doesn't. It doesn't make sense. Why did you move countries? Right, like, right, right. Stay in your country. So, um, of course, you know there is a certain aspect of like, okay, camaraderie. Um, you know, just being in an unfamiliar situation, meaning that you want to hang out with, you want to be around people that remind you of home. And I understand that, and I feel that as well. Um, however, how I developed Chinese friends mm-hmm. was. Actually, through teaching English in China. Oh, that's a familiar route that a lot of North Americans go through. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, teaching English in China, I was lucky that I didn't end up teaching in kindergartens and stuff. I ended up, <laughs> I had two job opportunities. One was at a kindergarten and the other one was at a, uh, like a private tuition center for students that were around my age at the mm-hmm. time. I was 22, 20, uh, it was like late teens like 19 to like 23 a lot of housewives as well in their 30s so that job opportunity was basically what introduced me to the majority of my chinese friends today cool yeah 
That's cool. And then also being an open-minded individual, when my Chinese friends invited me to go eat snake, which actually one of my students did, that's how I, uh, that's how I ate snake, uh-huh. I said yes. I have, there was another teacher that was with me that in, got invited to eat snake, and he said no. No, he just said, I ain't trying that, huh? He's like, I'm not, I'm not eating snake. Well, that's going to be on this, you know, you can understand that. And, and I did say no to chicken feet, though. I said, oh, no well, there's this another. Well, I, I just interviewed someone who wrote a book <laughs> called uh, Chicken Feets and, and Crystal Baths. And uh, I'll link that in the show notes. But it's, so you you may not be as stubborn as you think, as you say you are. OK, if you can do this, because that is a leap for some people. You know? I'm stubborn in certain areas. Okay. Like there are certain things that I just don't I don't budge on or there's certain things that I get caught on. But like in terms of being open minded, trying new things. Even if in my mind I'm like, should I do this? I, most of the time I'm like, am I going to learn from it? Uh-huh. Is this going to be a cool story? Uh-huh. Am I going to talk about this on a podcast? Then yeah, I'm going to do it. What, how about how about like what type of uh, local customs that that stuck on you? Like for example, are there any local customs that you picked up while in in, in Guangzhou and you probably would take it, you know, back back to you back to North America, Canada, stuff like that. Local customs that yeah. stuck on me. Yeah. Um, Be- besides taking, well, here, like in, in, in Taiwan, you know, you go into people's house, you usually take off your shoes and put on the slippers, you know, like in Japan, stuff like that. And I'll, I'll do that if I go back to the States. I'll, I'll do that. It's just stuck with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I can't say there's anything specific that really sticks out to me right now. Mm-hmm. But I do like... I do like that there's a little bit more of a custom around the business culture. Yeah, go you know, into so that. So what I mean what I mean by that is like so when you go to like a Chinese um boss's office like most of the time they will have like a tea set and mm-hmm. then the Chinese boss will serve you tea and you know you kind of drink tea and talk about I I mean I I think that kind of stuff is interesting I think it's cool but it, that just might be because I'm a foreigner you know I don't know if that's interesting to everybody uh-huh. but you know, there's stuff like that I, I find, you know, culturally is cool. So, like, I want to I wanna do things like that myself, you know. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, but I, I can't say that there's anything particularly. I'm like, I'm going to take this and I'm going to implement this into my life. You but know? there is a drinking cul- uh, custom there, especially when you do business, right? I mean, you, you know, sometimes the big boss will probably want to take you out and get to know you. And uh, they have certain drinking customs. Did you have to face any of those? Uh, definitely. Um, so, the, the you know the Chinese alcohol, the strongest alcohol that I've ever tasted is called Baijiu. Baijiu, Baijiu. yes. And it's a uh, Chinese alcohol. That's uh, right. It literally, it literally translates to white wine or right. white alcohol. Um, it's like it tastes like cheap sake. Okay. Except, except sake is like. 14 to 17 percent and my joe is like 40 to 50 percent right alcohol. Um, you start your car it's, with that <laughs> it's brutal uh i don't like by uh, I, I but I, then again i haven't drank expensive by that much everyone mm-hmm. tells me that like, drink expensive by it tastes better but i've only drank like the 7-eleven oh goodness. Uh, well, <laughs> I drank the seven, and also like when I was in Chinese bosses, a little bit more expensive. But like my experiences with the Baijiu were pretty tough. What tends to happen when you go hang out with like a Chinese boss? What they're trying to do is they're trying to one have you in different social situations, 
so that you become more comfortable with them. So for one, like initially you're in the office, you're drinking tea. It's like, you know, 4 p.m. You're talking about the project. And, you know, maybe it takes two hours, three hours. Then they're like, oh, let's go have dinner. It's like 6.30. I'm like, okay, fine. Let's go have dinner. And then you go for dinner. And then, you know, they start with, hey, you want to have a beer? Sure. You have a couple of beers. Next thing you know, it's like, bye, Joe. Oh, do you want to go to KTV? I had a shot of Baijiu, so I'm like, ah, screw it. I'm going to go to KTV, go to KTV, Baijiu, KTV girls. Like, Oh, goodness. It's just like, you know, then it's just, it escalates from there. And then they're trying to get you, that they're trying to, especially if you're like signing, they try to get you to sign a contract when you're drunk. Oh, and you're not conscious. So, oh, that's cold. <laughs> and yeah, I've never done that. But like, yeah, it's just that it's definitely, there is a drinking culture. And I think as well, in my experiences with going out, not just with uh, Chinese bosses, but just going out in general, I think that people, when they see, when local people see a foreigner, they maybe have watched Van Wilder or American Pie or oh, whatever, and then they're like, okay. oh, let's drink like the foreigners. And it's like, you know, it becomes a whole other story. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, this is not a college RAT movie, you know? This what? is. This kind of reminds me because, you know, like some people before they end up overseas and especially in China, they have a certain, uh, how would you say, they they prepare a certain mental package. And when they get Mm -hmm. there, that package is totally, they found out just totally useless. Have you, have you experienced anything like that? Like before you, you know, you, you, your parents brought you there back and forth, but when you decided to really take that leap, did, did you find that some of the stuff that you thought were just were not once you got there? honestly no because i was consuming a lot of content about china before i came down i mean youtube google are the best resources in the world for learning in my (laughs) experience um and i i i watched like i was talking about the elevator life into china show right i watched i watched a hundred videos about business and life in china like if you watch a hundred videos about business and life in China from people that are in China, mm-hmm. you should have a good idea of what to expect when you get down. So I had, you know, I set my expectations accordingly and also I had been here before. Um, so, I mean, I wasn't surprised by anything. If anything, I was more prepared because I had done that research. When you, when you, you know, yeah, yeah, go ahead, continue, I'm sorry. No, no, no. I, I yeah, when when you you've been in there, you've been in China for a while and stuff like that. How about do you have uh do you spend much time, especially when when your friends contact you or other relatives, answering questions from your friends back home about China? And sometimes you find yourself you have to debunk a lot of what they say. Yeah, um, yeah. I think that the questions that I get are more related to. I don't get it as much anymore because maybe because of the podcast, maybe because people just know not to ask me those kind of stupid questions. They've, but they've given up on you. That's what happened. <laughs> they've given up on also, you. I'm, also, I might just be like, not antisocial, but I just, uh, I don't, I, I only communicate with probably a core group of five to 10 people uh-huh. on a, you know, daily basis. Like everybody else, uh, I might not reply to your message for three months. Unless it's like, you know, you're reaching out to me for the podcast or, you know, something like that. Those are cool people that I know I want to connect with. But um, peripheral friends, like the 400 plus Facebook friends, I don't really talk to as much. 
in terms of ask, answering questions, the questions that people ask are more related to like, at the beginning, it was like, oh, you know, you know, is there electricity? Like, oh, <laughs> how big is the city of like Guangzhou? Uh-huh. And I'm like, Guangzhou is three times the size of Toronto. Like, That's right. You know, um, you know, it's a much bigger city. Oh, like how crazy is life there? I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. it's crazy, but like it's still a city. So you can kind of figure out how to do things if you do enough research and you have a good network around you. Mm-hmm. Now I get more questions about, because I guess most of the stuff that I post on Facebook is about my business. Now I get more questions about what I'm doing and, you know, how difficult is it to do business in China and like things like that. So it's changed. It's definitely changed. And honestly, I'm the kind of person that has always been able to, not always, but like in the past five, six years, I have controlled the people that I interact with Mm -hmm. on a regular basis. So people know not necessarily to ask me questions that I probably wouldn't answer. Okay. You're like all business, huh? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, but it's not just that. It's just I'm conscious about the people that I surround myself with and I'm conscious about the kind of conversations I have with mm-hmm. people. Well, this- so, so, I mean, my, my really good friends really understand me very well. And then, you know, you, you, so you have like that core group of, like I said, five to ten people. And then you have an outside group who also kind of understand my vibe and they're probably not comfortable to ask me certain questions because they know how I would feel about that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then you have like the really peripheral people who don't really know you that well and just don't feel comfortable right. reaching out to you because they just don't know you that well. So I've I've kind of built a good circle of very close friends mm-hmm. who understand me very well and they wouldn't even in- introduce people to me unless we're on the same wavelength, if that makes sense. And that's something I consciously did about six years ago. It helps to save a lot of time, too. We don't have to filter out and all that other other mess. But, you know, this also brings me to the aspect of you doing business in China, you know. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of of things that West... There's a lot of ways Westerners uh, do business with other Westerners. And when a Mm -hmm. lot of Westerners, uh, especially from North America... Uh, go to China, they hit all kinds of walls because a lot of them don't understand you're not in Texas anymore, you know? Yep. And, yep. and what are some of the, besides, you know, the drinking cost, uh, customs or whatever, what, what are the, some of the mindset that you found that either you had to change while doing business there or some of the mindset that you were expected to receive when you learned, when you were, when you were learning to biz, do business in, in Toronto? What changes did you have to do to do business in China? The first thing is lower your expectations. In what um, way? In what way? When I say that, I feel like as a consumer, as a customer, you think you're going to go to a company and they're going to do everything possible to make you happy. It's not how it works in China. You need to make sure that everything is, yes, they, they want to make you happy, but you need to make sure that you're providing them with enough information and resources and you're working within the system. I always talk about working within the system so that you can get the results that you want. That That is the first thing. So lower your expectations. You need to do more work than you're you used to doing as a consumer. 
Are you saying that because always something happens? Because I, I, I you know, me being here in Taiwan, I hear I hear stories of even from you know, the foreigners that are living in Taiwan, but dealing with China, they always say something always happens. You know, you know, the, yeah, I mean, get this material, of course, then we of get course something one. always happens, and it, I mean, it's cultural, it's um, language barriers. Uh, I'll give you a quick analogy that my business partner in China, Mike Michael Shearhorn, always like he said to me a lot early on and he was like man like i feel like a lot of customers because we run a sourcing company mm-hmm. um a lot of our customers think that china is like a big walmart <laughs> and it's like oh okay you just go to aisle seven and pick out these socks for me it doesn't it doesn't work like that like what size of socks do you want what design do you want do you have a design file do you know the materials what order quantity? What's your budget? Like, when do you want these socks done? Um, are you looking for high quality, lower quality? Like, there's so much stuff that you need to figure out before you even talk to a factory. Mm-hmm. And I think most people just kind of go like, oh, you know, I think it would be pretty cool to source some handbags mm-hmm. from China that kind of look like this Louis Vuitton handbag <laughs> that I'm a fan of. And it's like, do you know what level of zipper you want on that do you like do you know the the material used for the zipper do you know how how long the zipper is do you know the millimeters involved do you like right. there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. do you have a tech pack <laughs> like you know do you have a designer with a tech do, is your logo done do you know the colors that you want do you know your butt like there's there's a lot so of much. that you need to do there's a lot of work that you need to do before you contact a factory and the factories need that information to do their jobs correctly. So I think, you know, most people just think, oh, yeah, you know, I want this product. I can just uh, go to China and, you know, ask somebody to find it for me. It doesn't work like that. Well, go back to your first time you did your first deal there, you know, and you found out that you, you hit a wall in some, some ways or, or miscommunication. Can you describe that experience? How was that? My first deal was... Yeah, business. My first deal was just not trusting my instinct and going with what my customer wanted to do. Mm. So basically, my customer had sourced a factory before they contacted me, mm-hmm. and you know, me and my and me and China Mike went to the factory, and China Mike was telling me he had a bad feeling about the factory. And oh, oh, I was oh, you kind- said China Mike. Now, yep. yeah, is there is this nickname or what, China Mike? What? Yeah, yeah, China Mike, uh, like I mentioned before, China Mike or Michael Shearhorn. Oh, okay. He's, yeah, he's my, if you want to go by his government name. Okay. He's, um, he's my business partner in, in, in Source Financia. So, yeah, I mean, he, he's he been in China now for like nine plus years. Mm-hmm. He started Source Financia in 2010. And then he kind of got in, he had a couple of successful Kickstarter campaigns. He kind of got into selling his own products stopped sourcing for a little bit and then we met through enter china like i mentioned earlier and then we started source by nature together so yeah so we were like china mike we went to the factory and he was saying he had a bad feeling he felt like the factory was too small Mm -hmm. like the location was too small for what they were promising that they could do Mm -hmm. volume wise and i mean it was my first time there so i was like oh okay some things felt off but i didn't really believe my gut instinct mm-hmm. and then our our that's another thing like a lot of people make excuses 
Oh, oh, you know, maybe they did. It's like if you have a an off feeling about a factory, chances are that there's something off. Uh-huh. But anyways, uh, my customer was like wanting to push the order forward. And he was like, yeah, let's move. Let's move. Let's move. Uh, we don't have time. We don't have time to like assess all the factories and we want to move forward. And we just kind of went like, yeah, we had these concerns and we did voice the concerns. Mm-hmm. But we just didn't make it clear that this is not a good option. So like these days, whenever I have that gut feeling, I make it very clear to my customers like this is not, not a good option. Like this is not normal. This is not something that we want to go with. Um. You know, I might even be wrong. Who knows? Maybe I'm wrong 10% of the time. But like at the end of the day, I'm probably saving myself 90% of the trouble. So what happened with that factory was we had those gut feelings. In the end, like we didn't even get into mass production. Like they made samples for us that were really bad. Mm-hmm. And they took a long time to make samples. And we made a, a mold with them. And that mold was a poor quality mold. Like there was so many issues with that factory. So we ended up having to find another factory anyways and mm-hmm. delay the project. So, you know, I just, I learned a lot from that first experience. And I mean, I think our, our customers well learned like, uh-huh. to trust our, our opinions, you know? So like you said, you keep lower your expectations, right? And, um, and you also said something about how you assimilate it. And I'm sure that helps you with your business and your, your company focusing, focuses on making that easier for those who have no idea what's going on in China. Or am I, am I make, making the right assumption? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we, we're a consulting company. Mm, that's, right. that's really what it comes down to. So I teach my clients how to do business in China, whether they, want to use our services from finding suppliers to actually managing the production and having that relationship with the factory mm-hmm. to performing quality inspections at the end to shipping or if they just want to you know get help with sourcing the suppliers at the beginning and then get our professional opinion of you know which is the best supplier and then how to move forward with those suppliers that's that's what it comes down to. So, and that's a big part of the reason why I have the podcast, mm-hmm. Made in China podcast, is because, man, I love talking about this stuff, and I don't care if I'm putting out all this value that I've learned. Like at the end of the day, it's like you can consume the content. It's very different consuming the content versus doing it. Right. So, I challenge anybody to like listen to all my podcasts or listen to content around doing business in China and then try to do it yourself to the same level of somebody else that's been in China for that time period. Like, it just doesn't happen. You're right. Exactly. I watched the 100-plus videos of the Enter China show of Tim and Nick talking about doing business in China. And when I started doing business in China, I felt like I'd never done business in China ever in my life. So, anyways, the point that I'm making is we do make it easier for people and I try to make it easier for people. That's why I try to put out great content um mm-hmm. and and yeah also that's what my business does but i would be very happy if somebody was able to consume our content and then do it by themselves what do you think are some of the main reasons or the the main kicking points to determine a success of an expat enjoying their existence or doing business overseas what do you think is the the main reasons or the main things that can get into their way besides being stubborn <laughs> Besides being stubborn, um, it's all mindset stuff, you know. And this is not just 
This is not just doing business abroad. This is just business in general. This is life in general. Um, you you have to have the right mindsets in place. So if you're talking specifically about doing business outside of your home country, right. then you need to be an open-minded individual. Like It just comes down to that. Um, you also need to be a positive person because you're going to run into situations that suck and situations that you don't understand and situations that are really, really messed up. I want to use the F word in that situation, but I can't say that. Um, <laughs> and you, the only thing that's going to take you out of that mindset, like we talk about, I, you know, the concept of China days, right? No, let's explain that then to the people. A China day is basically like, I've talked about this with my podcast, but it's like, Everything goes wrong. Um, let's say you just arrived in, in in Shenzhen and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm in Shenzhen. I'm in China. It's my first time. I'm going to go to Starbucks. I'm going to post up and I'm going to like work on my laptop for four hours and meet some cool people. Then I'm going to you know go to another part of Shenzhen, maybe go to the beach. You arrive in Shenzhen. Mm-hmm. You leave your hotel room. You find the Starbucks. You realize that you can't log into the Wi-Fi in the Starbucks because you you don't have a Chinese SIM card. So now you have to go buy a Chinese SIM card. You go to the you, you start researching. How do you research Chinese SIM cards when you don't have internet? You're trying to talk to people and ask them where where can I buy a Chinese SIM card? And then finally, you know, after talking to thirty people, you find a SIM card place. You buy the SIM. Like you're struggling to communicate what you want because you don't speak English. I mean, they don't speak English. They don't write. You know, finally, you're able to get a SIM card plan. You you know, you put that in your phone. Then you go back to the the, the Starbucks. Now you're able to log on to the Wi-Fi. However, you don't have a VPN, so you can't access Google. You can't access <laughs> Facebook. You know, and then it's like your whole day is just basically problem solving, right? Because you're in China and this is a China day, and you you don't have, you don't know what to do. So that's 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 a typical China day. So, um. The only way, other than having a, a good community around you, other than having people around you, um, to to help you through those situations, like like I did, I don't want to plug into China, but it's just the it's reality. Just- is like I I learned, I skipped a lot of these lessons because I had people in Interchina around me. Um, the only way to avoid that is to have a positive mindset. So, like, not taking things too deeply, not thinking too much about the fact that you had this really bad day and just letting it go and then moving on to the next day and learning, taking the experience, learning, and then not doing the same mistakes the next day. Right. So that's what that's, I think that's the most important thing. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's all mindset right. stuff. So if, if anybody's getting, thinking about making that leap, whether it's the channel or anything else, I think that, that's the best thing to keep in mind. Hey, look, Rico. I, yeah, yeah, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry. I, and I think that when it comes down to mindsets, I think I, I talked to you about this before, is like I was not necessarily the most positive person um, five, six years ago. Like I went through a lot of changes and I was a very negative person with my mindsets. And, you know, it's not like I wasn't a confident person, but I just had... And like how I dealt with situations, how I dealt with negative experiences was to, you know, take it internally and blame myself and things like that. And, you know, the things that you can get caught up with, uh, you know, negative patterns and you have to recognize when it's 
your fault versus somebody else's fault Mm -hmm. and be very honest about that because most of the time it's actually your fault. It's how you're reacting to that situation Mm -hmm. rather than the situation itself. And the, the, the reality is like you can control how you react to a situation. Most of the time you cannot control the situation. So why focus on the situation? Focus on how you're reacting to it. So, you know, I came across content, like I said, five, six years ago where it was just like, hey, like, are you blaming other people for your problems and, you know, all this stuff? And like, well, how do you handle negative situations? Do you always blame yourself or do you blame other people all the time? Are you trying to actually improve yourself? Um, and and then when I kind of understood that, and like, it takes time. You have to train yourself to not have those negative reactions. And when I did that, then I became a more positive person. And I think it put me in a position right now to be able to do what I'm doing right now because I'm I'm really busy and I'm in <laughs> uh, you know a very crazy place and and uh, I probably wouldn't be able to handle a lot of the day to day stuff if I wasn't a very positive person. Right? Wow, so that's cool yeah. mindset. Yeah. So look, if if anybody out there is you know, like I said, ready to make that move to go outside of their safety zone. Um, that's a lot of, I mean, you, you, you know, Rico, you said a lot, and that's, that's a lot to, to, for people to think about when they have nothing else to, to compare it to. But, you know, I want to thank you very much for taking your time out of your busy schedule. And, um, you know, it's, it's like, we'll see what time is, is it like almost coming up at nine thirty here, our time, but I, I really appreciate you spending the time and one more time, you know, give us your, your URL to your podcast and your website, uh, uh, source fine Asia. All right. So first off, if you're interested in listening to the podcast, it's called the made in China podcast. We're available on iTunes, uh, Spotify, um, Stitcher, uh, most podcast apps. You can also listen to the podcast on our website, sourcefineasia.com slash made in China. Um, as well, I run a sourcing consulting company called Source Find Asia. It's, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to explain how to spell that, but uh, <laughs> be and then as well, I have, a, I have another business called EnterChina. That's enterchina.co. Um, that is the company. EnterChina, I was a member at first at EnterChina. I paid to be a member. And then through that membership, through the community, I met my business partner, China, Mike, Michael Shearhorn. And then we started SourceFind Asia together. He, he was, he, he started the company before, but we revamped SourceFind Asia. And then that led me to where I am right now. And then I became a partner in a part owner in enterchina.co. So, um, so if you want to reach out to me, of course, the podcast, uh, go to the website, sourcefindasia.com. And you can email me at rico at sourcefindasia.com. That's I-R-C-O at S-O-U-R-C-E-F-I-N-D-Asia.com. Cool. Thanks a lot. Look, Rico, thanks a lot. And uh, I have a feeling that I will be in contact with you again. Yeah, I mean, we we kind of discussed... uh, potential podcast situations. I don't know how much to say about it, but, yeah. you know. Um, there more both, more to come, huh? More to come. More to, more to come. Just leave a little teaser for people. But, like, you know, we we're both putting out content. I think, you know, what your interests are similar to my interests. And 
you have experience in in broadcasting and and podcasts and stuff like that and i'm i mean i've been doing podcasts for a while but like i think that your experience in that arena could be very helpful so you know, we'll, we'll make it a surprise it. for everybody. Okay. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Hey, look, if anyone, has, if anyone has any questions, drop by the website or, you know, leave us a message uh, with SpeakPipe and um, I'll get a message to Rico, you know, if you're looking out uh, to get some information for him because his source is really, really useful. And uh, the, listen to his podcast. I actually, I listened to uh, ooh, seven episodes so far and um, I learned a lot. But look, Look, for 4C's One Family and Rico, I'm James Thomas. Talk to you guys later. Zai Jian.